Our scripture this morning finds us in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three, do you think, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I've found one of the helpful things to do to get ready for this moment is to come in here sometime during the week. Sometimes I actually sit in a pew where some of you are sitting. That's a good place for a preacher to sit, to think about what it would be like to come on Sunday and hope at some point in the sermon the preacher is not going to just boil water, but he's going to maybe finally make a little soup, right? But sometimes I come and sit right where I've been sitting here this morning, so I can look back at these beautiful Tiffany windows. I was sitting here before Easter, and it hit me that these windows, they're our marching orders. The risen Christ. Who are we? We're the risen body of Christ, called to be indestructibly alive in this world. And then beneath that, what's the lower window? That's the Good Samaritan window. This is the very truth that the risen one had lived into and called us into this world of holy neighborliness. So that's where we're going this morning, Good Samaritan. Some of you have already checked out. You said, look, you know, I, I, I got that one figured out back in the third grade. Give me something new. I heard somebody not long ago say, oh, the Good Samaritan. That's a nice little story about being helpful. Don't ever call one of the parables a nice little story. Because you see, as John Crossan said, the parables of Jesus, they're a reversal of our 
expectations. They're a dislocation of the hearer's world. They're going to take you right into the heart of the tension between God's ways and our typical ways. Now, if you want to get into the dislocation of this parable with you and me, get into the repartee between the lawyer and Jesus. I can understand the lawyer. I've got some of him in me. He just wanted some clarity. He wanted some clarity between what does it mean to be a good guy and what does it mean to be a bad guy? Um, What does it look like, you see, to live a life of faith? Particularly this eternal life thing Jesus had been talking about. He was fascinated by the way Jesus talked about it. Before Jesus, um, heaven was just a jackpot at the end of the rainbow. Then Jesus came along and said, whoa, but the jackpot is also available right here, right now. And the lawyer says, how can I be a part of that? Now, in good rabbinical fashion, Jesus wants the man to discover some of the answer himself. So he answers the question with another question. And he says, well, you're a learned man. What does it say in the Torah? Lawyer doesn't have to work very hard at all. He goes, oh, I know what it says. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Bingo, bango. He's got the right answer. Jesus says, you've done well. You've learned well. Now go and do it, and you shall live. Clunk. Clunk. Why? Look, the lawyer hoped that he could have a nice little um, just kind of speculative conversation with Jesus, knock off a couple of philosophical hors d'oeuvres and then go and have his lunch. And Jesus boils it down to something so straightforward, so livable. Clunk, clunk, why? Because he thinks about all the people he's walked by on his way to the office this morning. Oh, yes, they're the people who look like him and talk like him, but they're also the people who sit on the stoops, sleep on the streets. Oh, there are the people of Jewish descent, but this is Jerusalem. It was also made up of Parthians and Medes and Midianites. And then he thinks about the people that are going to be standing at his office door wanting free legal advice, clunk, clunk. So what does he do? Oh, in, in good lawyer fashion, he says, well, well, Jesus, let's slow down just a minute. We've got some semantics to talk about. We need to define the terms. Who is my neighbor? In other words, he wants Jesus to give him a little help, limit his relational liability. I don't think the question is really who is my neighbor as much as, come on, Jesus, who's not my neighbor, right? Whom can I legitimately keep out of my circle of concern and still feel good about myself? I think this is what he wanted. I can see him wanting Jesus to give a nice legalese answer. It might go something like this. Jesus says, oh, define neighbor. A neighbor hereafter referred to as the party of the first part is any person of Jewish descent who lives within two square mile radius of one own legal residence. That is one's neighbor. However, if there is another person of Jewish descent hereafter referred to as the party of the second part, that person will be deemed to be neighbor of the party of the first part. And thus one is absolved of all responsibility whatsoever. Yeah. If you ask the question, who is my neighbor? It, it sometimes 
would just be the question of privilege. I'm sitting way up here and I'm looking down. Who down there has a right to my time, my help, my resources? Maybe that's what the lawyer's doing. He wants to limit his liability. Maybe he's just trying to obfuscate the whole matter. You know, keep the discussion going, keep probing all the questions and the problems and the issues. Have you ever done that? Think what the lawyer wants to do? He wants it to make it so complicated that, well, just throw up your hands and he can go and enjoy his lunch with a clear conscience. Have you ever done that? You know, keep the discussion going. Some years ago in another church, the mission committee said, Rob, would you go to one of the Sunday school classes? We're trying to get every adult Sunday school class to take one Saturday uh, over the next two months to go and be a part of building a habitat house. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll be glad to go. And so I walked into this Sunday school class and it started okay. Everybody was friendly. Rob, glad to see you. And I said, well, I'm here to talk about habitat. And they said, well, Rob, we've already been talking about it. And some of us are not sure that that is the most appropriate response to homelessness. I said, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah, they said, you know, building one home at a time. And they said, maybe we ought to have more of a systemic approach. And then they got in quite a lively discussion about all the root causes of homelessness, addiction and mental health and illiteracy and the welfare system. After about 20 minutes, I had to go. They were no closer to making a move about habitat or dealing with the systemic issues, we need to keep talking about it. You see what happens if you can keep the discussion going, keep the ball bouncing like a beach ball in the air. Nobody has to do anything. Nobody really has to go anywhere, right? So I think that's kind of what the lawyer wants to do, just keep the ball bouncing in the air Jesus, let's keep this discussion going. And Jesus knows the last thing this lawyer needs is another discussion. So what does he need? He needs a story. Yeah. So then he tells the story. He said, um, a certain man was on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. Oh, and those early listeners, they said, oh my goodness, I, that's the bloody road. That's where people are always, always getting mugged and robbed. And that's what happened to this man. He was robbed and beaten and left for dead in the ditch. Well, now, wait a minute now, just can you give us a little more description of this person in need? Jesus just says, a certain man. He doesn't tell us if he's black or white or Democrat or Republican or Methodist or Catholic or straight or gay or if he wears a Calvin Klein suit or a hand-me-down sweatshirt from Salvation Army. He just says, a certain man, a human being. It could be a man, it could be a woman. A person in need. Do you see what Jesus has already done? Oh my goodness. He's already stretching the bands of neighborliness. Well, this, this man had gone down the road and then, of course, he was robbed. Oh, there were two passerbys. Listen to what it says. They saw him. They saw him. They, they both did. But they passed on by. I want us to be real careful at this point. I've heard a lot of sermons. You know what people love to do? They take the priest and the Levite, the two that pass by, and they go into these kind of caricatures. The problem with caricatures is, oh, we can stand back and say, That's, those folks aren't like us. Well, one night I, I heard a Methodist layman give a sermon on the Good Samaritan. I was out there in the congregation, and truthfully it hurt my feelings just a little bit. 
He got to the part about the priest, and of course he called the priest a preacher like me. Then he made the preacher sound like a televangelist. And he said, a preacher, and he repeated it again. I said, a preacher, seeing that the man had already been robbed. Good, you're listening. A preacher, seeing that the man had already been robbed, just passed on by. Oh, you can make this whole thing into a caricature, and you can keep some distance from it. But here's the truth. It's real interesting. Jesus doesn't give any reasons. He doesn't need to. Yeah. Doesn't take a whole lot of creativity on my part to come up with the reasons, for they are my reasons. They're your reasons. They're our reasons. And we've all used them. Sometimes it's the road. Oh, I I see the human need, but I also see the road. And the road is taking me to to some kind of goal. And here's the collision, the human need and the place to which I'm going. And sometimes the road wins, yeah. Oh, I think sometimes it's just a skeptical voice. Hey, what what difference is one person going to make in this world anyway? Why should I go and be a part of Kairos, go give a week to people that are in prison? What difference is it going to make? Then there's the fear thing. I do have to live, don't I? Right? I mean, it's the fear of contamination that what has knocked somebody else down just might knock me down. I've seen this played out in people that are really good people. Someone loses their job and their friends, oh, they just kind of remove themselves, distance themselves as though that person now has a communicable disease. That's not rational, but it's powerful. We do have to live. We do have to survive, don't we? But if that's my story, then it's going to be harder for someone else to live. And see what I've done then? I've conferred absolute authority in the violence, the evil, the destruction, the separation. Oh, there's good news, though. There was another one. He was a Samaritan. Oh, wow. Now, at this point of the story, see, Jesus, early part of the story, I mean, Jesus, man, he had the lawyer. The lawyer was coming enthralled, and now the lawyer gets knocked off his feet. Jesus, are you kidding me? Are you telling me that the good, this Samaritan is going to be the good one, it's going to be the hero in your story? Look, in this day, a Samaritan was thought to be a churlish one, a one who was capable of nothing good. What good would ever come out of Samaria? Hey, but it's the Samaritan. Surprise, surprise. And this is the one that crosses the road. He touches the wounds. He binds the wound, lifts the man onto his beast. Next day, he comes back and he empties his pockets. He empties his pockets for a full recovery. Wow, that's a risky detour extravagance. The Samaritan becomes the voice for the victim, who in this parable has no other voice. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us what moved, motivated the Samaritan. I'm going I'm to try this on you, though. This is, this is my own experience. The people that I have seen respond to human need in this way. I don't think it's so much that they're more morally sensitive than others as much as they, it's right here, it's in the eyes. 
I think these are the people that look at someone in human need and they don't see at the depth of their being that they are really separate selves from that other. They really feel that their life flows into that other life like a wave flows into wave and there is no joy and peace for them until there is joy and peace for the other. I think it's really right here. I think it's in the way they see things, the way we can see things. Ah, but Jesus gets to the end of the story, and then he's going to let the lawyer do the last piece of work, you know. Okay, now you've heard the story. Which of these three has proved to be neighbor? I imagine the lawyer feels like at this point it's a little bit of a setup. I mean, well, the answer now is pretty obvious. He says, well, I guess it's the one who did something, uh, the one who gave mercy. Jesus says, that's right now. You, you go and do likewise, and you'll have that life that you've been longing for. Yeah. Hmm. So here we go. Um, here's the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus uh, changes just a little bit. It's more like, whose neighbor are you? And the answer by the time Jesus is finished, everyone, anyone. Do you see the picture Jesus is going? You and I and everybody else bound to each other in a holy neighborhood of concern and care. Hey, let's, this morning, let's just own the fact that in our divided communities of our culture and our society, you know, rich over here and poor over there, righteous people over here, and the other people way over there, this is not typical. But you go back and read Genesis 1 and tell me where did God make typical and call it good? <laughs> no. Followers of Jesus, um, we're not called to be typical. Oh, if you want to do something atypical this morning, put yourself, identify with one in this story that maybe, well, we just don't naturally go to. Usually when I hear the parable of the Good Samaritan, I'm trying to figure out where on the spectrum am I between uh, the Levite and the priest who walked by and the Samaritan. Where am I? I want to do something atypical. Put yourself in the role of the man in the ditch, the one knocked down. Okay. We should be able to do that. Why? Because we're a community of grace. We're honest enough here that we are people that are willing to own up. One thing we surely all have in common here is every one of us are in need of mercy and strength and help beyond our own. Right. Haven't you had times and places when God or someone God sends you, has helped you, saved you? Think about the man, the wounded man. He's there in the ditch. He's... He's cut up, he's lost a lot of blood, he's about to lose consciousness, and he looks down the road, seeing if somebody else might come along. He's at the end of rope and end of hope. And he looks up and he goes, are you kidding? A Samaritan, a lousy Samaritan? Don't you get it? The parable is um, suggesting to us, be ready to be surprised by the surprising ones that God might send to save you, to help you, okay? So here we are, you know. 
God calling us, Jesus calling us into this holy neighborhood. Sometimes we're the receiver. Sometimes we are the giver. Every day you're surrounded by neighbors. They're behind you. They're before you. They're on each side of you. They're in every place you go, sacking groceries, attending civic meetings. God made a world full of neighbors. We call it earth, but God calls it a really, really, really big neighborhood. And every day when you walk into that neighborhood, you're going to find someone in need. And Jesus says, when you do, do some love. Friends, long before Nike and the swoosh said it, Jesus said it. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, just do it. Here we are at the end of the parable. I, I want you to hear. Now, what is Jesus really calling for? He's not calling for a, a leap of thought. He's not calling for a leap of understanding, a leap of emotion. He's calling for a leap of action. Just do it. Be a neighbor. Give mercy. Do some love. It was four years ago in a Midwestern university, and a young African young man, he came to a podium like this to give the valedictorian, valedictorian address at this large university. This is what he said. This is part of his talk. He said, um, some of you know me, and I guess if you looked in the program, you know my name, but a lot of you don't know where I came from where I grew up. He said, I, I grew up in the projects of East St. Louis. You, you may not know that that's a, that's a hard scrabble town. It's, it's a mean streets. It's just a place of doing your best to survive. He said, I want you to know, I stand before you today not because the leaders in the city of St. Louis held a symposium on the, um, the realities of urban poverty. This is why I'm here today. Because a man named John who lived in St. Louis got up three mornings a week and he crossed the river and he came down into the projects. And he came first as my tutor, then he became my mentor, and then he became my friend. He taught me how to love good books, but most of all, he opened me to see my larger possibilities. He said, I stand before you today because of a man named John who three mornings a week got up and crossed the river and came into the projects. You, you get it, don't you? I get it. Jesus said, love God, love a neighbor, be a neighbor. He said, don't, don't get caught up in trying to complicate the specifics. You know how to do some love because it's somewhere along the line you've been on the receiving end of it. If you want the world to look a little better next time you go out, try doing some love. I don't know who prayed this, but I remember hearing this prayer and it went something pr pretty much like this. I'll close with this. Oh God, may the... Um, Summer showers of your grace soak the seeds of our right answers so that they might be blossom in to right actions. Just do it. Just do it. And watch the landscape change.